podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's been 62 games, 163 goals, 15 yellows, two red cards, numerous upsets, a thousand memes and countless Neymar, Richarlison and Ronaldo tears. England did well, but Morocco did better. And let's not talk about Wales. Um, It all comes down to one match. Will it be the new kid on the block sealing his second World Cup and snatching the baton as the greatest player in the world? Or will the all-time great sign off his career in the perfect way? I know which one I'm hoping for. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. Hey, Rory, how are you? I'm feeling very cold at the moment. I don't know about you, but how's it been in Italy at oh, the moment? I'll tell you what, I, I've been looking at the temperatures in England and it looks absolutely mental. Um, it, someone shared from it today that it felt like minus 10 where they were. It was. Um, it was for me. It was minus 10 and my family in Poland are currently experiencing minus 15. So I'm not oh. far off. I even joked around that we're not a million miles off, but it is bloody freezing. Oh, That's all I can God, say. It's a- it's to be honest, in Milan, it's colder than normal, but that means like five degrees. So we're not too <laughs> bad, if you know what I mean. It's just raining a little bit. Um, right. But very quickly, maybe I did hear a really interesting thing. It was being explained on uh, I saw it on Twitter, but I think it was from TikTok about why in the UK it feels colder than like Poland, right? So well, minus yeah. Poland, it's minus fifteen. But when I lived there, that cold, I'm Doesn't colder when like I'm in it. Manchester. <laughs> and it was because of the triple point of water. So in the UK, yeah. because of the temperature, you get vapor, water, and like ice. So then it freezes on your skin and makes you colder. I thought it was really, I've explained it incredibly badly. But <laughs> that's basically why you're colder in the UK than Poland. <laughs> I went down a bit of a rabbit hole there. But yeah, I hope you're <laughs> surviving and, you know, have you, t- you must have turned the heating on by now, right? My mate's yeah, really yeah, about obviously to a now. conservative amount because of <laughs> yeah. the prices, right? So I think I'm for those that are watching, they probably think I'm a maniac because I'm literally just in my football shirt. So um, <laughs> yeah, after we record this, I'll be quickly wrapping myself and probably hoping that I don't freeze to death. But yeah, no, we plow through, we plow through just exactly for this pot. So exactly but, the things we do for mate, you guys, the things exactly. we do for you. Um, but how are you apart from that man you good yeah keeping well it's uh been a crazy few days at work but Mm -hmm. yeah it's good that it's coming to an end of the week and then the weekend happens and we're so close i mean it's i don't know about you it's weird to think that premier league is going to kick off in less (laughs) than a couple weeks time so like wow like this is just going to be total football. It's like that meme from David Mitchell, isn't it? But it's all about the football, basically. <laughs> it never stops. Stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it is. Um, it's, it, I saw someone share a screenshot of like the Arsenal lineup, and it was like this many days until we get this back. And I was like, oh Christ, I'm not ready to think about a title race again. I don't know if I'm like ready for it. I'm going to need to take a breather, definitely. I think I love the rumour, though. Sergei Milinkovic Savage potentially in a swap for Arsenal. Oh, there are some rumours coming out of Arsenal that I'm very excited about. Mudrick, I'm very, very excited about. That looks yeah. like he's getting closer that, and closer. Yeah. Milinkovic Savage would be absolutely huge. Um, I'm not convinced by it, but we'll see. Um, but 
today on the show, what we're going to be discussing, we're going to be talking, of course, um, Croatia crashing out against the mm. Argentinians. We all expected a bit more, but we will talk about that. We're going to be talking about the end of the road for Morocco uh, as France kind of scrape yeah. past them. I'm going to use the word scrape. Um, we're going to preview yeah. the World Cup and we're going to be talking about some stories around Italy, around European football and a little quiz for your listeners. So there's plenty for you to stay tuned in for. for. Um, <laughs> we are going to start with, in Italy, there's been a few stories come out this week. Um some good, some bad. Um, <laughs> let's start with the bad story, I think. Um, mm. Our thoughts, of course, go out to Gianluca Vialli, who's had to step down yep. from his role with the Italian national team as he faces his second battle against cancer. Mm. Um, all we can say is, Gianluca, you've got this, man. You've done it once, do it again. We all want to see you back on the on the sideline. I think the the one of the few positives I could find in Italy beating England in the Euro <laughs> final was the moment where Mancini and Viali, two players who would feel that yeah. they should have achieved more on the national team yes. as players, two people who were able to, as best friends, celebrate that incredible moment mm. where they just burst into tears and kind of embraced, was a really, really beautiful moment. And living in Italy, you see quite a lot of Gianluca Viali on the TV and he just comes across as such a nice guy and he's really well-respected, mm. so I just really... We really hope to see him back in the game again. Um, memories of Viali as a player, as a man, as a manager? I think, I think, yeah, the main ones that I remember when I first came to know of him was Juventus, the period where mm. they had that 94-95 team that yeah. went on to the Champions League final against Ajax. Um, but then obviously... When he had hair. Looked, he had hair then. Yes, it, well, just an yeah. inch of it, if that. If that. Yeah. Um, but I also remember hearing the stories of him just like, just casually having a cigarette as he was like going yeah. out of the training ground or something like that. So he was uh, one of those chain smokers of the, back in the day, uh, right? Very but then obviously brilliant. his move to Chelsea, I think that kind of yeah. revolutionised that Premier League era because... Up until that point, obviously, Serie A was the destination mm-hmm. for a lot of players. And for someone of his calibre to come across to obviously play in the Premier League, I think he helped set like an expectation around mm-hmm. like how it should be played in the Premier League and certainly helped evolve maybe a bit of tolerance as well towards mm-hmm. foreign players. Because up until that point, I think there was kind of a discrimination towards foreign yeah, players, yeah. especially was- in the Premier League. Yeah, one of the first of that wave, right? When the, yeah. yeah, when the Premier League really became started to, or started to become international. Yeah, so our thoughts are with you, Gianluca. Mm. Die, you've got this. You, we yeah. will see you again in the game. We hope. Um, but we need to move on to the good story. The good story. Let's call it. Yeah, I think it's good news. Pablo Mari has returned to training yeah. with Monza after that horrific mass stabbing that took place in Milan. Yeah. Um, he is now back in training. He's hoping to be back mm. on the pitch to help Monza stay in the division in which, well, here's the other story. <laughs> here's the Silvio twist. Bellasconi. <laughs> Silvio Bellasconi. He has given a hell of an incentive to his players. Um, now, the word he used is quite interesting because I've seen it kind of um, translate mm. in a few different ways. So he promised the players... Um, a busload of prostitutes if they <laughs> managed to beat one of the big boys. But the word he used was troia, which is like a really horrible word in Italian. <laughs> like slag or it's really, really right, a horrible see. word. Yeah. So it's even worse than it's been translated as. Now, 
Um, it, the reaction to this has been very... Yeah. Too, it, it depends if you're a man or a woman in Italy, I think, on how you've reacted to this. <laughs> a lot of kind of guys have been like, and then a lot of women have been very, very angry, understandably. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know what... like, like <laughs> From the outside, your views on Silvio Berlusconi before I go about maybe on the inside, outside-inside kind of view. He is that old granddad that just says racist things in the corner, yeah. but in Italy, he's just... I don't know. He's just he comes out of this stuff, doesn't he? And he gets away with it. That's ultimately it's what it is mental. with Silvio. He's got the money. He can say what he likes. Um, not that it's right, but no. certainly the way he came about it. When that story came through, it's just like you almost kind of laugh, but you kind of go, Silvio, why did you say that in front of like media as well? Like typical Silvio. It has to be yeah. all about him, right? He's such a fascinating bloke. He's such a fascinating bloke because his life has been like he's he was he's like a self-made man who's created this yeah. empire of like this media empire and become president of a country and like it, I, I don't think he was necessarily like a bad president. He was like very like no. financially focused and like yeah, he says ridiculous shit, but that's like kind of as a I think as a president he wasn't that bad. People didn't like mm. him, but I don't think he was that bad. But like how he manages to get away with these things is is really fascinating. I think a lot of people, especially older people in Italy, tend to think, oh, well, if like the things, not just the things he said, the things he got away with, a lot mm. of people in the older generation are like, well, if I was in his position, I'd do the same. If you know what I mean, I'd be like <laughs> giving my mates jobs or I'd be doing this or I'd yeah. be like looking at, and you kind of think, okay. And then our generation and the younger generations are kind of looking at him like that embarrassing uncle, that embarrassing granddad. I mean, like, really, this is the guy who's going to represent our country. This is what people see us as on the international stage. And I think some of the charm that was there in the nineties, early two thousands has definitely worn off. (laughs) Um, The fact that he's now like just a president of a football club and not president of the country, despite his best efforts is Mm. probably quite telling, but just, it's a very Italian story. And it's the second I saw it, my eyes rolled so hard. Like, Oh, (laughs) it's like, just not again, (laughs) not again. I always remember the comment he made to, who was the player who played for Portsmouth and Milan, the midfielder? Uh, Sully Montari. Sully Montari. You made a joke to Montari about his wife and like, can I borrow your wife for a night? Or like, there was yeah, like, but it's on, he? like, it's in this documentary and it's like, oh my God, the guy just, yeah. Incredible, incredible. Um, but yeah, so there you go, Pablo Mauri. Another incentive to get back out on the pitch if you're that way inclined. <laughs> yeah. um, but listeners, we are going to take a quick break and we are going to go try world cup i was gonna say your review or <laughs> penultimate world yes. cup review we'll see you on the other side my name is david artel and you're listening to the anglo italian pod and here we are it's time for the penultimate world cup review and there's only two games i yeah. you know today i was sat and i was like Oh, do you remember when there was four games a day do you remember <laughs> yeah. those halcyon days how great was that seem a bit I, lost now, don't we? Just lost. This is it. There's nothing to fill our void until next week when the Premier League until, gets off. <laughs> yeah, until it all starts again. But I was genuinely like, oh, I've not watched a football game in a while. Do you remember when it was four a day? Anyway, mm. we have one left um, and we've just had two. 
I think they didn't quite go how we expected. I think our predictions were kind of, we said that one of them would be a bit closer than it was. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll start with that one, right? Let's go for Argentina 3, Croatia nil. Now, mm. as I said, on our predictions, I think we all said we expected this to go to penalties, really. And for Croatia to kind of do what they do. Um, yeah. It didn't happen. What happened, Adam? Uh, I think Argentina were on a particular mission. And that was one line on Messi who was just determined. You could see it in his face, even when he was getting roughed up by the Croatian defenders mm-hmm. and players, he kind of stood up to them. He, he didn't really take any shit as he would normally do, I suppose, to an extent. But I felt like Argentina really controlled the match. They mm-hmm. didn't let Croatia get into the rhythm. You saw, I would say, an arguably really quiet match from the Croatian midfield, in particular mm-hmm. Modric, I felt, didn't have the same spark or influence on the game. And I think that was quite telling when you see the goals back because it was like they were kind of very quick movements, but they were enough to nullify kind of any kind of control that Croatia's midfield could have on the game. And if you look at the Alvarez goal, for example, where from a corner, you know, he just runs, he just runs. And you can see, I mean, like people love the fact that he dropped back as a defender, but then for him to counterattack with the likes of, you know, Enzo Fernandez, for example, Molina as well. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of walks through, like when yeah, past yeah, Jurovanovic, yeah. who I've been calling out for a few games for Croatia, and then Sosa, I don't know what he was doing on that like kind of oh. slice. And there then, was some really yeah. naive defending. It's not what you're it used was. to seeing from Croatia. I think the Gvardiol one with that incredible Messi yeah. run, Messi makes him look stupid. I don't think Gvardiol actually does much wrong. No. I think even when he's showing him, he's showing him both ways and yeah. it's just, in, it's incredible-ness yeah. from, from Messi. But I think, the yeah, the first goal, especially is from very, very naive defending. And it's just, again, not what you're used to seeing from Croatia. Um, but with the midfield of Argentina, I think it's really interesting what you said. They managed to completely mm. nullify the Croatian midfield. And I think it's because like, all Argentina's width comes from like the wing backs, right? So that midfield yeah. four are able to just crowd in and completely crowd out that three man midfield from Croatia. And I think you just saw that they were completely overrunning midfield. But that's because McAllister isn't necessarily a wide player. He tucks in and like that whole midfield comes in. Yeah. And I think they just outnumbered them basically. But it was, yeah, not what we expected from Croatia. No. Um, but who who impressed you the most from the Argentina? Apart from Messi, we'll get onto him. Yeah. Is it Alvarez that you think kind of stood out the most? Or? Yeah, I've kind of put him down in my notes as the perfect sidekick for Messi mm. because he'll do the dog work, he will run, he will kind of make himself a bit of a nuisance. But he, I don't know if you saw it, and I've seen it for other games where he kind of wins the ball quite high up the pitch. So, you know, when you're thinking about that's the duty of a striker, he does the stuff that Messi wouldn't necessarily get stuck in. And I think that's really helpful or beneficial to Messi because he then kind of picks up or he's allowed to kind of start running and, Mm -hmm. you know, just concentrate on his own game. And I think that's the kind of telltale sign of someone that is great. And I think when you look at his record as well, he's not a spectacular striker at the moment when you look at what he's done at under 23 level, Mm -hmm. for example. And it's a bit of a surprise to see him when you consider the likes of Lotaro Martinez and Dybala's on the bench. But it's that kind of willingness. And you can see that the guys around him appreciate that effort. And like I allude to, 
he was back doing his defensive duties for the goal that he did score where he kind of mm-hmm. bundled it into the net essentially and i think that was just epitomizing what a great player he is and what a great player man city have because i mean if you can get like the best out of him at a world cup can you imagine what he can then bring into the second half of the season yeah, for man I think- city this is like a signing that like Man City made it, and I don't think they expected him to be in their squad this quickly. I think he arrived exactly. at the training camp and at uh, the training ground, and Pep was like, "Oh damn, this guy's mm-hmm. ready," and this guy is really ready. <laughs> like, yeah. I think even for City, when he's come on or when he's appeared this season, he's kind of got goals, he's got assists. Exactly, he's yeah. had an impact for City this season already. So he was in good form coming into the World Cup. I think. It's so depressing he plays for City because he is such an <laughs> exciting player and he's obviously so, so good. And then you look at him and you're like, oh, he's the perfect pet player. Like he's, he is, he would fit that system so yeah. well. And I think it's, it's good to have in this Argentina team, there were so many players that people did expect performances from. But yeah. what the World Cup is great for, there's always a surprise player. And he seems, I think, alongside McAllister, to be the kind yeah. of surprise package for Argentina, the guy that stood Definitely. out, we might not have expected it. Also Acuna, I think, at the age of 31, yeah. I was expecting him to have such an impact. Um, but yeah, Alvarez, unbelievable. And um, he, of course, won the penalty. Um, yes. Now, <laughs> was it <laughs> in the ITV um, studio? I don't know what glass they were looking through what angle they had um if it was just they all hated argentina how on earth did they not see that as a penalty i don't know but someone should check their drinks to be fair yeah. you know like patches ever did that <laughs> one kind of glance to graham soonus is like last one time <laughs> i don't know what they were thinking like to be fair like it, it, i i had to second kind of think about it because like at the time when it was being played in normal time i said penalty and then they came out with that gibberish which was like hang on my head's really sore now i don't understand like what what, what logic are we talking about because they were mm-hmm. saying that he's got to make an attempt for the ball but he didn't intentionally try and take it now i believe to an extent maybe alvarez did buy it but ultimately he didn't get the ball like no, Peter the keepers kind run of out the keepers it. come yeah, out like exactly I, what I does it take? Did... Does it mean him to actually take him down like a rugby player before it's kind of considered like a penalty? I mean, no, unfortunately, it's a football game. Mm-hmm. There will be clashes like this. If that was anywhere else on the pitch, that would be given, right? Yeah, it's obstruction so, and it's a free kick. Yeah. Simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, and I, I think one part of their defence was, well, he got a shot off, so it can't be a penalty. Like, well, I'm come on. Like, yeah. really? I feel like sometimes a lot of pundits are just being contrarian to be contrarian. Like, oh, we've got nothing to talk about this half. Can we just say that wasn't a penalty? Like, yeah, I don't exactly. know. I just It felt a bit like that. I think Gary Neville has come out of this tournament with really weird PR after this tournament. <laughs> I think it's like a lot of people's view of him has shifted quite a bit. But that was a confusing one. But, of course, we cannot talk about this game without talking about Lionel Messi. Not only mm. was it an incredible penalty, I don't think you could have got it any more in the corner if you'd have tried. What yeah. a penalty. Um, have you seen the footage of the fan who filmed the run for the third goal? It's I, kind of a bit lower. Yeah. Right. And okay. It is just the perfect view of that Messi run. That is like if Messi finishes that himself, that's equal to the Maradona in 86, right? Right, that is yeah. an incredible run. Is it the third goal or second goal? It's the third it's goal. It's the right? third goal. Third goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was so. an incredible run. Just how 
how have we seen him hit another level this tournament? It feels like he's gone up again, right? Yeah. I mean, it's incredible just to think that he can still do it. I mean, I think there was a lot of doubts over the last few seasons mm. for his performances at PSG, for example, and even latterly at Barcelona. But yeah. I think the thing is, like I kind of allude to, he's on a mission. He wants to win this. And you could see there was a different level. Like they were all pumped up. Mm-hmm. You could see there was no fear. There was no one that kind of like winced out of it. And you wouldn't say necessarily across that 11, any of the Argentinian players had a bad game. Like no. sometimes you get one that might not be, might be a six out of 10 mm-hmm. or something like that, where he's done his job, but maybe not as effective. Everyone was effective. Everyone did their duties. And I think Lionel Messi kind of as captain had to exude that kind of like, this is how we're going to go about the game. But yeah, like you allude to, this just seems like super normal levels. Like we knew he was brilliant. And I, I don't know if you've seen the clip though, Rory, um, Damien Duff comparing the levels of Mbappe and Messi. Yeah. And he rightly calls out Messi, even at a young age, the same age as Mbappe, was miles ahead yeah, of yeah. where Mbappe yeah. is. And I think that yeah. just, we're, we're going to look back at him as a legend, regardless of what yeah. happens in the final. I mean, I'm personally mesmerized by what he's done in this tournament. I really, really, really hope he wins it. I honestly just, I think it, we need, we need that narrative. We need him to end with that like world cup, that image of him lifting the world cup would be just beautiful. Beautiful, I think the football world needs it. His performances, this tournament have deserved it. His career deserves it. I Mm. think with PSG, like I think last year, he very clearly didn't want to leave Barcelona. He yeah. wanted to stay in Barcelona. I think there was a lot going on in his personal life and he was just not happy and that led to bad form, right? He just yes. didn't score yeah. as many, wasn't the same player. What we're seeing now is maybe he's happier at PSG. Mm. Maybe his focus is just, I stay fit at PSG, keep myself ticking over and yeah. then I can get to the World Cup, absolutely boss it, see out my contract and I've got the World Cup, right? <laughs> I think like... It's one of the, but you can just see the freedom that he's playing with and that team that is able to like, kind of like the 86 team with Maradona, the team that is willing to sacrifice everything for that player. He is that good that we will do whatever it takes for him to be able to do what he does. Because it's not a, it's not a flashy Argentina team. It's not a like flair kind of like Morocco, like nutmegging and spinning and all that. It's a workman like team. There are a lot of grafters in that side. And they're all just doing it so that he gets it. We know how good he can be. We need to do everything to get yeah. the most out of him. And I think he also is able to get the best out of everyone else. If we look at like Ronaldo and his leadership style and Messi, you can see that Messi actually, his relationship with Martinez seems beautiful. Yeah. Like He appreciates the other players. He knows that as much mm. as he's like the most important player in, in quotes, yeah. that each other player to him is Plays as important. Right, mm. and that's like you can see that, like, the, the it just seems like a, a squad, and he's, a, he's yeah. a key key part of it. And I think it's really been great to see because people were starting to doubt him, and people were yeah. starting to say, you know, maybe it's kind of it's over, petty, and mm. all that. But I think he's absolutely shown them that they're full of shit. Um, so it would be great to see him in the final. It feels like the stage that we've all been waiting for him to get there. And this time, yeah. no Higuain to ruin it for him, right? No Higuain <laughs> yeah. to He's not going to miss those chances. <laughs> no, that's for sure. That's, that is that is a bonus. But before we move on to this game, I, yeah. from this game, I also wanted to shout out Scaloni as well. I think yeah, as a manager, yeah. 
that that first game losing against Saudi Arabia was huge, right? It kind of feels like Massive. a lifetime ago, but he straight away recognized the weaknesses in the team, saw what was wrong. Players like Talia Fico and a few other players have yeah. not got near the side again. And he's gone, nope, that was wrong. Right, this is how we do it. And yeah. they've won every game since, right? I think he's he's managed this tournament incredibly well. Um, and it's, again, we were talking about, I think we were talking earlier about managers that learn their lessons as they go along. Mm. And I think Scaloni has definitely done that. It's been great to see yes. him like evolve along this tournament, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that was the first major setback that he's mm-hmm. had as a manager as well. So just to kind of, as you allude to, he's learned from those mistakes. He's managed to turn it around. And I think his game management has pretty much been spot on mm-hmm. i wouldn't necessarily say there's been a bad substitution i think maybe he got it wrong in to an extent the holland game potentially yeah. he maybe got the foot off the gas at that very moment when they should have just maybe pressed on for another mm-hmm. goal but that said obviously i think you have to recognize the momentum that holland brought or netherlands brought into that yeah, particular yeah. match as well um, but yeah, I think this kind of typifies the style that they went about this tournament. They weren't necessarily the flashiest, the most skillful team, but they have individual players. And I think we even haven't really spoken about the qualities of like Paredes, for example, who I think over the last few games has really grown. I mean, yeah, we slaughtered yeah. him for what he's done at Juventus so yeah. far. But again, he's shown his worth. Di Maria as well is another one who's really like, proving it for the international team. Not mm-hmm. necessarily, I'm not talking about his time at Juventus, but certainly he seems to be going out there to help Leo win that title. Um, but before yeah. we do leave this, Rory, I do want to kind of give a bit of credit to Croatia as well. Yeah, yeah we do have to know. that course, performance, go. Yes. they yeah, did yeah. amazingly well to get this far. It's just a step further in terms of like where they're progressing as a nation but I do have this one question for you Rory which is Modric is probably set to retire now they have got some aging players and I'm I'm thinking Mm -hmm. the likes of Brozovic isn't getting much younger he might have a Euros in him potentially but what what do you think do you think this could be like a slight demise in Croatia in the years to come because I'm not hearing about talents necessarily coming through i mean there Mm. is one or two players that might come to surface in the next four years but i mean right now it feels like this could be the beginning of the end where they start to regenerate a new generation of croatian team what's your thoughts yeah i think it's definitely the end of an era definitely the Mm. end of an era i think seeing modric come off the pitch you were like oh this is well that's it We'll see him at Real Madrid, of course. He's probably got another season in him, another two Mm. seasons maybe. But probably not another World Cup. It does feel like the end of an era. I think with Croatia, it's weird because it wasn't that long ago before this. They were really good, if you know what I mean. They were great in that year, right? Um, And like around the late 90s, they were amazing as well. So I think it won't be long before there there are great Croatian Mm. players coming through again. I think we're going to have Lovra on again at some point to talk Croatian football. But I think there's a lot of quite exciting young prospects coming through at um, at, uh, uh, Hajduk Split and Dinamo Mm. Zagreb, the usual places where they come from. I think there is a kind of a new generation and maybe the Euros, you're right, we'll see them come in next World Cup. Maybe they'll be like, you know, the first real test for them. But I think it's definitely the end of an era. It'll be interesting to see who they replace Modric with. Um, They're lucky that like Brozovic is only 30 years old. I think Kovacic is 28, 29. 
So there's definitely like those two have still got maybe two more lessons, tournaments, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I think they just need to get that someone else. The problem is you're never going to get a player like Modric again, yeah, no, but exactly. like, if they can get someone who can do one of the jobs he does, then maybe they'll be exactly, okay. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, it's for Croatia to get a final and semi-final in back-to-back World Cups is incredible. They could still get third place. I know it doesn't, no one gives a shit about third place playoffs, but finishing third will still it be a good It could be a good match still. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it could be, because Morocco will really want that as well, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it'll be really, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Croatia deal with this. I think their manager, the important thing for them is is that Dalic stays really, I think. For him yes. to like continue that, that, to keep that continuity, because he's been, well, he's been arguably their greatest manager ever, right? And mm. he has brought through these players and created this system and set this culture. I think it's really important that they keep hold of him and trust him to, to bring through the young players because yeah. I think that's what he did last. That's what he did at the beginning was bringing in these exactly. players, so allow him to continue to do that. And I think it, in the Euros, Croatia will still be a dark horse. We'll still be talking about them <laughs> as dark horses, I'm sure. Uh, what do you think? I, I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know too much about Croatian football in terms of who's coming through. And I haven't seen that. So it's, it's going to be very harsh for me to judge it and say, oh, yeah, they won't make it. They'll be like this year, this year's even Denmark. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be harsh for me to say that. But I do feel like you might not see the same Croatia that we've seen at this mm-hmm. tournament at the next tournament. Uh, it could be like a year of like... We have to get used to maybe them just doing as best as they can yeah, and maybe yeah. not necessarily hitting the same heights as they have previously. But you never know. There might be a star that is just underneath that little kind of blanket mm-hmm. that Croatia seemed to like nurture. I mean, for a small nation like them to have this rich football history <laughs> is incredible. Like, I know, four million people and they constantly have world-class footballers. It is incredible. Um, but yeah. Unlucky Croatia, I think they'll be slightly disappointed by how they went out. But yeah, as we've said this entire definitely. tournament, Argentina just get the job done. They've just done the job they've needed to do the entirety of the way, except against Saudi Arabia. But we need to move on <laughs> and we need to talk about, uh, we all wanted it. We all wanted it. They nearly, they nearly completed Almost. the colonizer treble, but they couldn't quite <laughs> do it. As Teo Hernandez, with a beautiful finish, I think, within the first five minutes, quite yes. an acrobatic finish, put the French ahead. And Colo Moani, great to see another Colo back in the football. Yep. Not many of them about. Um, <laughs> scored scored with his first touch to make it 2-0 and take the game away from Morocco. I think it would be fair to say that second goal was definitely against the run of play. Yes, But much Morocco so. massively shot themselves in the foot with how the game started. What did you make of the first mm. half? And then we'll get on to the second half and what happened. Yeah, I think it was a combination of they went as far as they could. And mm-hmm. in that sense, I mean, unfortunately, D had a few injuries to certain players, right? Yeah. So Roman Saiz, who... Obviously, I don't know what happened with his hamstring, but he was barely able to keep up with Olivier yeah, Giroud yeah. to, um, yeah, Andy called out in our WhatsApp group. If you, you can't keep up with Giroud, you need to retire, basically. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Andy realised he had a hamstring injury. Um, <laughs> He'd had so many injections in that leg. Like, Probably, so that was the injections. thing. Yeah. And I think they maybe got a little bit overawed by the experience mm. because I think they were full of fire. And then as soon as they made that one mistake, it was just 
a little bit of control that France had. And that's what I've put down as my notes is France, although they didn't have the possession, because possession-wise, it was all with Morocco. They had yeah, 61% yeah. here. And it was just the fact that France are clinical. And that's what I said about the England match. They are just able to switch it on for the moments that count. And that's the thing with this performance. Even though Morocco had opportunities to bring themselves back into the game. And I think that still kind of gives that hope to Argentina that I think there is a team to get at if you can unlock it. So essentially, mm. I mean, if you think about the left-hand side, Mbappe doesn't do the defensive duties. Mm. Teo Hernandez, I feel it is, can be exposed yeah. as well. So yeah. I think there's an opportunity there. In the middle, they're still a little bit exposed there as well. I thought Canate had a really good match, mm-hmm. despite the fact that Upamakana couldn't make it. And I think there's question marks also around Fofana. He obviously stepped in for Rabio. Rabio's got this basically cold flu symptoms that seem to be going around their camp at the moment, which I think Rabio has had a fantastic tournament up until this point. Like, and you think how big could that be in terms of influence? Because he's kind of a player that's gone under the radar, but he goes about his job really nicely. He scores important goals as well along the way. And I don't feel that when you've got Fofana playing in that role, he contributes in the same level. Mm. And I think that was exposed in the England match as well. Tushan Meni struggled a little bit in this yeah. match as well. Um, and I think that's credit to Morocco as well, because I think although we're saying Morocco really started this match really badly, they got back into it. I remember there was that opportunity mm. in the first half where Buffal gets, I think, should have got a penalty in the first half where he gets hacked by Teo Hernandez. I don't know what your thoughts are to that. That was a really baffling one where he I'm, got a yellow card, yeah, right? I'm not sure how Buffard got booked for that. I've Honestly, I've watched it again baffling. several times and been like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think yeah. Teo was ridiculously lucky there. That could have been a penalty, if anything. Yeah, like, exactly. I think it was absolutely crazy. Uh, but I think Morocco, you made a good point with the first goal. I think they they still did manage the game really well because when I saw they went 1-0 one 1-0 down, I was like, oh, this is going to be like four or five. This could absolutely yeah. spiral. And I think other teams, that, that they have. do spiral, but Morocco didn't. And what they also did mm. was show that not only are they able to play this incredibly counter-attacking football that's got them this far, but they're mm. able to do the other side of it as well. And when they do have the ball... They're able to control possession. They're able to keep a team yeah. back pinned in their own half. Now, I know, again, France were quite happy for them to do that. And we're very much like, right, you just play. We'll make sure you don't score. Yeah, exactly, but I yeah. think Morocco was still able to create many chances. They definitely yeah. should have scored. The beginning of the second half, I'm not sure how the ball didn't go into the net. Mm. Um, there was the overhead kick that Laurie saved, yeah, right? It was a exactly. ridiculous save. Um, I definitely jinxed him because I said he's washed <laughs> and he's been absolutely incredible. Um, but I think, yeah, I think Morocco showed another side to their game. They showed a real, mm. like, that, they, that if the occasion calls for it, they're able to absolutely, like, dominate the ball, play great football, um, and, yeah, create chances. I loved that even when they were 2-0 down, they were still yes. nutmegging French defenders and making them look very, very <laughs> foolish. Like, no matter what, yeah. we're going to continue with the street football. Like, you bet, you better believe that. Like, so I think it was still incredibly entertaining to watch. Um, I felt really bad for Aguerd, like another injury yeah, again no. that they really could have done with. A player who obviously was desperate to play. Tom, friend of the show, West Ham fan, was desperate for him not to play because he's barely played for West Ham this season. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, please, can we just get our centre-back back? Um but I think, yeah, the squad was kind of decimated a little bit. Yeah. Um, but 
an incredible performance. But again, France, like you said, so, so clinical. Two chances, yeah. two goals, on to the next. And I think this is what makes the the final so exciting is it's actually yeah. two pretty clinical teams like both yeah, the teams exactly. when they get chances they tend to score them as long as it's not Lautaro Martinez <laughs> they tend to score them um yeah but yeah for for France there's one more player we kind of we we decided we wanted to talk about an arguably mm. player of the tournament Antoine so Griezmann Jesus yes. what a player I know like and I know he's He's been an incredible striker, right? And he's been like, yeah, he's achieved exactly. great things. But I did not see him as this number 10 box-to-box Metzala kind of all-rounder. And he's been unbelievable. I think this game might have been the best game of the tournament he's had. Mm. Um, arguably, although maybe against England. I'd say maybe England. No, but- I think this was better. This was better because I think Griezmann could under different referee been sent off in the last mm-hmm. game against England. Okay. So yeah, I yeah. will think I think this was better. But yeah, like you say, he's reborn. Like it almost feels like remember when Rooney dropped into midfield. Yeah. Yes, he has that tenacity, but he didn't have that same elegance that Griezmann is displaying. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. just and it, it just seems to be like he's just become this new role. Like mm-hmm. it's incredible. It's- just because when players are like kind of at that twilight where they realize they haven't got the legs, they can't do what they used to do. They drop back naturally, but they're not the same player in yeah. terms of what they could like contribute in terms of the game. But he seems like you wouldn't have known that he just played in up front. Yeah. You would yeah, yeah, go and, oh, yeah. wow, he's an incredible midfielder. And he's it's that defensive work that he does as well, which mm-hmm. intrigues me because I was like, wow, actually, I'm starting to appreciate this guy a lot more <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Barcelona, if they fucked up here and like lost out on the it really would good be, player. It would like, be very like them. I was going to yeah. say, it was, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting kind of problem there's going to be now because I think Atletico mm. definitely weren't keen to pay the amount they'd agreed for the loan fee right they were definitely a bit like are we going to pay this much Barcelona were desperate to get rid of him and now all of a sudden they're going to be going hmm do we keep hold of him but you know what happens Barcelona keep hold of him and they play him up front not in the position he's just played for for France and it all yeah. completely crashes like well, I think technically that deal is done I think oh, they sorted done? it out they did sort it out oh, in wow, the end okay. so Atletico did have to pay for his services because if you remember there was that stupid oh, clause that where it's half an hour, an hour yeah. basically so I mean well, it'll be Simeone's got another way of playing him right so he doesn't what? have to play him up front now this, he could play yeah, this is the interesting thing though, because I think we've seen players away from Simeone with the shackles off like João Felix for Portugal yeah. was completely different to, Just he, ball, to, what, he's, he? to yeah. what he's been at Atletico and you're like oh maybe maybe Simeone needs to well he's never going to change is he but maybe no, he needs to take not. a look and think about how he can use these players <laughs> but yeah Griezmann incredible incredible for France in a role that nobody saw and or but is there to be a surprise for the final as Benzema is now fit and available for selection he is gonna be with the squad yes what happens what happens you can't drop you can't drop Giroud and be like Benzema's back right I I can't see that happening I think Julian Laurent kind of speculated that this was more so he could get a medal at the end of the day it was more that kind of thing but he was also surprised because he he was under the impression that he's in Real Madrid he's just getting his fitness back up 
and he probably has no interest of coming back yeah, to the yeah. French national squad. So it's a weird situation. I kind of joked about it. Will we see him in a full kit and do a John Terry at the uh, final yes. unveil? Could yes. We? Yeah. Could we? Wrist, uh, wrist bandaged <laughs> up and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. But I think this match, though, thinking about it now, so obviously France versus Argentina, I, I, I've got this little bit of a dilemma for you because Mbappe, Mbappe's got a lot of criticism because he doesn't do his defensive duty. But actually, when you saw him for the second goal, he obviously was played more centrally and mm-hmm. played a lot better. And this is the thing that I was going to pose to you. So Mbappe's got this criticism, but Messi doesn't do exactly the same thing he doesn't track back he doesn't like stick his leg into tackle he might get the odd occasional ball in their half and then start dribbling around to buy a foul or something like that but Mbappe can do that as well so do you think the criticism that Mbappe's got about his defensive duties is unfair because maybe not necessarily is left wing his position he's not going to do the defensive work so where do you stand on it yeah, I think in his position, it's more important that he does do the work. If he's a central mm. striker up front, you can kind of get in a way with pressuring defenders when they've got the ball. And then when it's back that way, you can make yourself available, right? I think you can kind yeah. of get away with it a little bit more. When you're on the left wing and your left back is Teo Hernandez, who is a great left back, but defensively yeah. has a rick in him. I think it's more important that Mbappe does get involved. And I think even in the England game, where we saw Bukayo Saka absolutely cooking Hernandez was mm. because he was getting two to one every time. Hernandez, yeah. it was Saka and um, I can't remember who played right back now. Um, I can't remember. But Kyle they were Walker. both. Yeah. Yeah. And Cal Walker, they were kind of, as much as Walker kind of dropped deep a little bit, they were doubling up on Hernandez. Mm. And it's key there that your left that your left winger does drop back and do the job. Whereas, as I said, if he's central striker, I think he can get away with it a little bit more. At PSG, the problem is is that him, Neymar, and Messi refuse to do any defensive <laughs> yeah, work, exactly. and that's why they can't. That's why it doesn't go that well. Exactly. At least in, with France, it's only one. With Argentina, it's only one. With Brazil, it's only one, not mm. three. Right. So I think, yeah, I think maybe just because he's out left, he needs to just put a bit more of a shift in Mm. that being said there'll be a lot of france fans and probably a lot of his teammates who just go no leave him to it did you see the dribble he made for the the second goal let him do what he wants that was absolutely unbelievable that goal was most tournament all tournament he's been like that Mm -hmm. and it's just like you could see him really looking forward to this argentina clash as well because i mean yeah, that pace is incredible. I, I've not seen someone do that since maybe Thierry Henry. Yeah, possibly yeah, yeah. like just being He's able somehow to drag faster it. with the ball. Yeah. I don't understand it. It just seems like when he's got the ball, he manages to accelerate another level. It's in insane. That that run mm. was unbelievable. You're right. It is massive. Thierry Henry vibes, but I dare say he's going to be better than Thierry Henry. Like so, it's it yeah. is it is incredible. Um. It's going to be a hell of a final. Messi versus Mbappe. How? Okay, two questions. What type of game do you think it would? Do you think it will be a good game? And how do you see it going? I really don't know if it will be a good. Ge- I'm hoping it's a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see them being kind of maybe conservative for the first 10, 20 minutes, and half. it might need a some like fluke chance mm-hmm. or like a corner that 
maybe shouldn't have been conceded to maybe yeah, start it yeah. up. I think it will take something like a moment to kind of do that. I'm hoping it's not like a sending off because that would ruin it. But then mm. again, it might open the game up a bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really fascinated fascinated about how the approach will be taken by both managers because mm. the Champs hasn't necessarily changed it up in terms of the approach. He's kind of kept it fairly similar kind of formation and maybe different personnel. Whereas Scaloni, I think he might kind of look at the weaknesses and go, yes, we, we need to kind of pressurise that middle and left-hand mm. side. So yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how he deploys it. Will he go with experience? Will he go with fresh legs? Will he maybe mix it up and have a combination? Mm. Because I, I think almost you kind of look at both sides and you go, maybe don't change it. But then I think from a France perspective, you probably do need something that is going to support that left-hand side a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Fofana, if Rabio is any mm-hmm. chance of being fit, I'd put him in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, I mean, I, I think defensively, they're still a bit suspect in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what about you? I think it's going to be a cagey first half. These finals always are. Yeah. I think it's going to be like nil-nil at half-time and then yeah. maybe an early goal in the second half will wake it up. I don't think yeah. it's going to be... Finals are very rarely classics. Um, yeah, exactly. But I think you're right. It's going to be tactically, it's going to be interesting because as we've seen, France are quite happy to sit and let another mm. team have the ball, but they're also quite happy to dominate the ball if needed. And I think Argentina exactly. are kind of the same. So it's going to be interesting to see which team chooses to be the protagonist mm, like yeah. whether both of them decide to go for it or both of them decide not to go for it <laughs> or <laughs> one decide you know what i mean i feel like both teams are capable of playing both ways so it'll be really interesting to see which manager or which team has got the balls to be like right okay let's go i feel like france like to start games quickly so maybe we'll see them mm. with like an initial burst and see how they do like i think they have started games in general quite yeah actively even if they haven't scored that much i think they yeah they do have the potential to kind of um start games a bit more proactively but i think it'll be it'll be interesting i still mm. still think argentina will do it i've had a, a feeling since the beginning yeah. of the tournament um i got them in the sweepstake with my mates nice. so that would be nice um yeah i i feel like it's it's kind of been written in the stars for messi to do this yeah, I feel this is the way it's going to go. Hence the uh, Argentina shirt for those that can watch as well. But yeah, it has a certain name on the back as well. So yeah, Mr. Messi is on there. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping just for nostalgia reasons that he gets to lift it. And I might even frame a picture of him lifting it and have it in my background. Like that would be, I think, just for like a cult hero status. I feel like that cements him. Like, I don't know, it was... superlatives, right? Yeah, it was summed up by that Argentinian um, journalist. I don't know if you saw her interviewing. I don't know her name. Her name hasn't been included in the tweets rather disgracefully, but it was really beautiful how she talked to Messi and she was like, look, whether you've won this, whether you win this tournament or not, every kid in the world Mm. or every kid in Argentina has a shirt with Messi on the back, whether it's real, it's fake, or they've made it themselves. Like the imprint you have had on people's lives is much more permanent than the trophy you will win. Like if even no matter how this result goes, you are the greatest that's ever done it. And I think it's just it was a really beautifully well put thing. You could see it meant a lot yeah. to him. And like it really was. He was like, oh my God. I think it I I've just I love I love him. I love I like he's a player that I'm gonna go back the second he retires. I'm gonna be watching his highlights and his goals forever. 
I just think he still has the ability to excite me when watching football more than any other player. Yeah. Where you're just, and even going back to like whenever Arsenal got Barcelona every bloody year in the Champions League, you were like, oh Christ, we've got Messi. Oh, but I get to watch Messi. <laughs> like, exactly. This is yeah. like, okay, he's going to kill us, but well, you get to watch him. Like, <laughs> I think it was always that, like, that excitement that, like, even remembering when he first came through, I remember the 4 4 2. I used to get 4 4 2 every month. And they asked Ronaldinho, who's, uh, are you the best player in the world? And he said, I'm not even the best player at Barcelona. And he was talking about Messi he in was, the academy. Yeah. And you remember that. And I remember, like, watching him as he came on for his first game uh, in La Liga and he scores straight away and like jumps on Ronaldinho and just being like straight away, who the hell is this kid? And ever since, he's just been the best player on the planet, the most excited and just, I, God, I hope he does it. I really hope he does it because I just think for him to be rightfully alongside Maradona, like it it just needs to happen. It needs to happen. Definitely. I, I can't say any more than you've already kind of summarised there. I mean, it, we we cannot wait for Sunday, right? Just yeah. has to happen a lot quicker than like the next 48 hours. That's for and sure. Please don't let the French be the first modern team to win back-to-back World Cups. Nobody yeah, wants to see that. Yeah, that'd be boring. Right? Nobody <laughs> wants to see it. Just for the French guy who pissed me off in the pub in the semi-final. I do not <laughs> quarter-final. I do not want him to be happy. Um, but that is our final rise, our final <laughs> preview. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with some more stuff. Yeah. Hi, I'm David Wheeler, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. Here we are. It's time for any other news, taking a look (laughs) kind of beyond the World Cup, back towards domestic football, with a little look over our shoulder, back towards the World Cup at the end. We like to keep you on your toes, listeners. We like to keep you on your toes. Um, And starting with the any other news, we're kind of looking at, we've not mentioned him yet, this pod. We've managed to not mention him, but it is time for the Miknovic update <laughs> what is the latest in the polish soap opera i'm not sure how you say well, soap opera in polish yeah it's but... fine it's fine we won't go into that just yet we'll do that as a separate pod but um for now <laughs> mcnevich ball uh so he has taken to twitter and blocked journalists as well as anyone that's written a negative about him from his twitter accounts um Ooh. to the point we've got an ex polish footballer called artur viknarek who uh, i know from his day He's at Visa Fudge, but he's also been in Germany for the likes of Armenia, Belfield, etc. And uh, he posted on Twitter to say, Cheslav, let's hug it out. Why have you blocked me? Basically, um, so the rumours are still rife. Um, there is no replacement for Miknevich, but Miknevich could still be the coach. We don't know. Um, but the latest is Shevchenko is a preferred option at the moment, which I'm a bit depressed at because he would like to take 3.5 million back home in wages per year. Um, And I don't know if you know too much about this, Rory, but it definitely doesn't sound like he does a lot of the work. So his assistant, Massimo Tassati, Mm -hmm. who was the Italian coach uh, with him at Ukraine, he did a lot of the tactical work with the Ukrainian team when they did well in the Euros rather than Shevchenko, which is the face of it. Even mm. Spignev Bonyek recently took to a Twitter saying, why would we want to fund someone that is just a face for Polish football? Um, yeah. Like a Steven so, Gerrard kind of deal, right? Yeah. 
unfortunate. It doesn't sound great, um, but there is some other developments. So there's the Polish coach who is currently playing his trade in the Japan League, which is Maciej Skorsha. He's currently with Arava Red Dragons. Oh, nice. um, he was the man that helped win the title for Lech Poznan and then suddenly left before they went on their Champions League qualifiers right. this season. Um, he's a fancied like manager because he plays football in the right way, shall we say, in a better way than Miknevich has. So it'll be interesting. Bielsa rumours are still there. There's Harv Renard who is kind of softly hinted that he would still be interested if the opportunity was there. So again, potentials there. But then we've got this really random link, which is a Croat by the name of Nenad Belica. Um Again, he's an ex- Lech Poznan coach um, okay. and he currently plies his trade with the Croatian side Ostrich. I don't know mm-hmm. if I pronounced that right but um, he's previously been at Dynamo Zagreb as well um, one of those coaches that has apparently been lined up as a replacement for Zlatko Dalic when oh, the wow. opportunity okay. does arise. Right. He's kind of said to Polish press recently that he wouldn't say no to the Polish national team if he was offered it but he, if the Croatian job came up, he would jump all over that. So that's been a bit of a random one again. Yeah. But um, let's put it this way. Miknevich is still a coach. He's still going to take us to Germany or to at least Euros, in his words. Um and we'll wait and see. I love we'll that. I love that he's just he's just doing an Elon and just blocking anyone that upsets <laughs> yeah. him on Twitter. Like he's just searching his own name on it's Twitter so and blocking bizarre. everyone. This is bizarre. I absolutely so bizarre. love it. The pettiness <laughs> is just incredible. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, we will keep you up to date on the on the Poland management position because I feel like this one's going to rumble on for a while. This is not yes. going to be over any time soon. But we do need to take a look towards Serie A. Um, We're starting to think about the domestic league again, starting to think about Napoli and about the wonderful Mm. things we were seeing before this World Cup kicked off. And there's rumours of a takeover in Serie A. Who is going to be rescued? Who's going to be salvaged? (laughs) It is Sampdoria, potentially by an American group. They are promising to invest the club with some monies. Um, Essentially, as we know with Sampdoria, they are pretty much bankrupt at the moment as it currently stands. They're having to sell assets. It's rumoured that Berezinski, who's had a good tournament with Poland, is being lined up by either potentially Roma, because obviously he plays in the role that Karsdrop has kindly decided to leave. And he might be moving on to Fulham, apparently, by all accounts. Or Napoli, believe it or not. Napoli are in like negotiations with Sampdoria to apparently Herving Lovano could be moving on. Um, Lozano even Um, that could be an interesting kind of transfer movement, but then also staying with the theme of Napoli, we we have to talk about Zaniolo who we probably, probably didn't give it a credit a few weeks ago, but yeah, there's rumors of a 30 million pound move. Now, Rory, we did speak about it a few weeks ago when the rumors surfaced. What's your thoughts on Zaniolo? Zaniolo is such an exciting player. And a very just a great player, but there's he, he's now suffered two ACL injuries. Exactly, and he can never yeah. he can never stay fit for that long. And I think for Napoli, a thirty million is about the maximum I would pay for him. I think mm. I think I'd be like, okay, that's reasonable. Yeah. If we get 10, 15 games out of him a season, that's very good. Um 
he'll probably get you five goals, five assists in that time. Like he is a very, very good player. It's not an obvious one for me for Napoli, but that being said, Spalletti is very good at getting the best out of players. Yes. I think Zaniolo and Mourinho aren't necessarily the best um, best buddies. Um, so maybe yeah. it's a kind of time for Zaniolo to move on. It'd be an interesting one. I don't know, because even the whole way he ended up at Roma was that weird Nangalan deal with Inter. Yeah, and exactly. Kind of like Inter yeah. gave away the most exciting prospects. But you know, huh, I wonder why they did that and... He creates a lot of headlines off the pitch, mm. fairly or unfairly. I think he's targeted in the media in Italy as well. Like they do want to talk about him, but I think, yeah, he has a lot of baggage. I don't know. It wouldn't be my obvious bet for Napoli. Also, I spent quite a lot of money on Lozano and my fan of Calcio. I really hope he doesn't sod off. Yeah, he's yeah, been exactly. really good for me this season. I'd be quite happy for him to stay there. Um, mm. But for Sampdoria, that's great news. That is, I that think, is. that's really great news. They're a club that's been mismanaged for a very long time. Um, And they're going to be in Serie B next year. Like, whoever's buying buying a Serie B team. Um, But it will be good to see Genoa needs those football teams back. Genoa were kind of bought out and Sampdoria, if they could get them back in Serie A, it's a great footballing city, great rivalry. Mm. It would be good to see them back where they belong. We also need to, we kind of touched on Roma, Stories coming out today of Mourinho managing Portugal and Roma at the same time. He's doing a football manager yeah. save. And I thought <laughs> the one thing that this World Cup has been missing is Mourinho. That's the has. one thing he's been missing. He's been right? so quiet as well. He hasn't <laughs> said anything controversial. He's kind of like, let it be, basically. And obviously, Santos has now officially left his role of mm. Portugal. So it now opens it up. Um I don't I know about it. you, but I, I think Roma are probably a bit pissed off with these kind of rumours mm. because they're kind of thinking they were just building something. I appreciate Mourinho isn't necessarily a man to build a future on, but I mean, he did help them win something, right? So yeah, I think yeah, yeah. they're probably just like, uh, I don't know, what's the compensation if we did it part-time? But then also I think like the amount of travelling the guy would need to do and would he be reliant on certain people to do like the scouting of players? Would, yeah. I mean, he's going to know players, right? And I'm not disputing that. And then the other point we have to bring up is the footballing style. We know with Mourinho... They've got a certain style to play. This Portuguese side probably aren't necessarily moulded in that role. But you um, know that he wins. He wins he, something. He with would Portugal. win them something, right? He, he would. would there's them. no way he takes them either Portugal that or he anything. would. He would do something terrible and make it explosive to the point that Portuguese football is ruined again and never recovers. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, the problem is. Do you go, I was even thinking this: if you don't go for Mourinho, do you go Villas Boas? As Ooh, I like Villas Boas. I think he deserves a chance, and I was thinking for Poland, I'd love him actually. I'd love him because I think, I think he'd bring us style as well. He got an unfair rap at Spurs, I think, and that kind of ruined his reputation a bit. Chelsea, yeah. and I think he kind of got treated unfairly everywhere he went. Really, Marseille I think say was a bonfire. Yeah, fans that club so. is always a bloody bonfire, yeah. and I think he was he, at Zenit and won stuff there as well. I think. He's actually a very good coach. I think they could do a lot worse, but I, I do have a feeling this Mourinho story isn't going to go anywhere. I think he could do both, and it'll be interesting to see. I would love to see Mourinho just <laughs> taking pot shots at people in international <laughs> press conferences. You're taking shots at other managers. You never see that. Mourinho is going to be like breaking ground in international football. It'll be, be I think it'll be fantastic <laughs> to see. Um, 
I hope it happens. I really hope it happens. Um, nice. Other other transfer stories. Other stories for one us? last one. It's Juventus. We have to bring the uh, Bianco Neri into this. Obviously, <laughs> um, if it isn't about scandals, it's about players that they want to buy with magic trees. Um, so yeah, um, Jakub Kivor is rumored to be wow. the preferred option in the January transfer window left-sided midfield or defender should I say um obviously a long-term replacement potentially for Bonucci mm-hmm. uh, who we've been saying is a bit leggy of late yeah. um could do a good job with Bremer obviously beside him I would see that as being a good partnership potentially I mean Kivor has a lot of suitors in mm-hmm. Italy Milan is another one which is yeah. rumored to be linked with a clause that Milan have over Spezia or something really to do with a transfer that they've done where they get first dibs on players. Um, So that was one. Uh, But obviously Napoli is another one that's um, Mm -hmm. there. So there's a lot of the top teams there that are looking towards that. And just quickly, also, it's an interesting one that sparks in my head. Um, Marcus Turam linked with Inter. That was a very yeah. interesting one. And obviously Dumfries potentially going to Arsenal, I saw today as well, for Tomiyasu in as a straight swap, which could be incredible. I mean, I don't think <laughs> Inter will accept it, but then it depends on the finances, right? Because I think that might play a part. But, I mean, what's your thoughts to that I would be Rory? Man, would I love to see Dumfries at Arsenal? Yes, I would love yes. to see Dumfries at <laughs> Arsenal, of course. I would be very surprised if we were willing to give away Tommy Asu. Genuinely, mm. I'd be very surprised. I think he's a player that not only was he incredible at left back against Liverpool when we needed him to just slot in and do a job on Salah. I think his versatility means that he can play centre back, left back, and right back. I, I would be very surprised if we were willing to give him away. I would on. Exactly. Yeah, what I, t- I don't know if if Inter wanted him. I'd say Dumfries and money. <laughs> I don't know. I think I don't know. I don't know. I, I need to. I think that might be a stupid thing. I've just said Dumfries has been incredible. I don't know. I, that, that that's kind of melted my brain. I feel like Arsenal are getting linked with everyone at the minute. We're getting linked with Milinkovic Savic as well, which yeah. I'm taking with Rafael a huge. Yeah, was another one I've heard as well. Yeah, I'm taking with a ladle of salt. We're getting linked with everyone at the minute. <laughs> we're we're going to spend money in January. You do need a striker though, right? You do need a striker we, because we Jesus is going to be at least two months by the sand of things we need a right winger as well we need another winger i think that's why the mudrick deal is getting a bit yeah. of pace he by all accounts wants to come i think zinchenko is yeah. like agent zinchenko in that deal and <laughs> getting it done <laughs> um but yeah i think yeah it'll be interesting to see i don't know dumfries would be holy crap in the premier league he would be Oof. incredible that would yeah yeah i would like that i would like that a lot nice uh yeah that's good that <laughs> is good but we need to kind of move on to a good day bad day for uefa maybe Good day, bad day. Yeah, um, yeah. So the I've kind of read through some boring legal documents, and I'm going to try to not bore you guys. But basically, the gist is the European Super League has been shot down by the European Court of Arbitration. I think yes. they're called. Um, and basically, the thing is that the clubs would be free to join the Super League, but UEFA would be within their right to sanction those teams and within their right to block them from taking part in mm. any UEFA. Um, any UEFA competition, so of course that would include the Premier League, Liga, uh, Bundesliga, etc. etc. Yeah, so it would kind of include all of that. Um, it basically puts a, the bullet in the back of the head of it for now. We all know it's coming, guys. We've just got to postpone it for as long as possible. Yes, um, 
Florentino Perez has taken the news um, predictably well by just spending <laughs> seventy-two million pounds on a sixteen-year-old as they yeah, wrap up as you the do. <laughs> wrap up Endrick deal. We're gonna. I've seen him on YouTube. I don't know how good he That's is. Seventy-two yeah, million exactly. seems ridiculous for a sixteen-year-old, but we will see. Um, mm. Before we go on to the next brainchild of UEFA, how do you feel about this Super League thing? It kind of feels inevitable, but we should be celebrating a little bit, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that means it delays any kind of progressive talks around how it could be sustained. I think that was the main thing because you had that kind of split of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, right? And maybe Juventus probably dropped down a peg a few since Agnelli's left his role. Um, (laughs) And there was always blood blood between him and Perez anyway, by the Mm -hmm. sounds of things. But yeah, I think at least delays that eventuality for now. I think it will come back, maybe not as the Super League, but Rory, it could come in the form of the Club World Cup competition. So... Gianni Infantino has been um, going to his board of ideas and, you know, he's got probably a black book in his like little pocket in his blazer with these fanciful ideas. And it is basically a replica of the Champions League, but more on a global scale. So um, just have that in the back of your heads while I describe it. So yeah. 32 clubs around the world turning up at this competition. Now, the proposed date is 2025 in the USA initially. Infantino apparently was hoping that the ECA, which is the European Club Association, which is headed by Nasser Al-Khalifa, obviously PSG owner, um, to sign off on this concept. Um, You'll be grateful to know that they declined this so you had set a deadline for friday this coming friday for them to sign off um they have declined it saying they're not happy with the proposals that doesn't mean it's going to disappear mm-hmm. unfortunately because infantino has stated that he'll bring it back into a congress in march to discuss this potentially being more floated about it sounds like he has some sort of buy-in from confederations around the globe because they're obviously kind of seeing this as the kind of evolved version of the confederation cup they are proposing for this tournament to happen every four years um obviously opposite to the world cup um because obviously you have to pay for the players use in competitions like they are doing at the world cup as well mm-hmm. um but uefa are dead against this they see this as direct competition for the champions league and like an evolved version of the super league so, yeah, incredible story, Rory. Um, initial thoughts? What do you think? Uh, it sounds incredibly messy. It sounds so <laughs> messy. Um, I I don't know. I feel like Infantino has this thing of, like, he has to leave a leg. Like, he's obsessed yeah, with a legacy. legacy. He's obsessed with having, like, I think Blatter, for all the terrible, terrible things he did, he did take the first World Cup to Africa. He did take the first World Cup to Asia in countries that, you know, were had footballing history, etc. I feel like it's there's a lot of negative with Blatter, obviously, but there are slight, slight positives you can look for. Yeah. I feel like Infantino is just trying to get that, what can my legacy be? Or what's going to get me the most money? And I think it's probably exactly. the second one. I think, like, we all love watching football. We all love watching high-quality football. We all love watching football often, but what Mm. just there is enough football. What is going to do? And it's football doesn't know when 
to stop before the bubble burst because eventually yeah. the bubble will burst and the quality is going to get so bad. There'll be a million games a week, but none of them will be worth watching because the players will just be knackered. I think it's just like exactly. at some point you have to just be, all right, basta, right, fine, stop, good. We've got the Champions League. We've got the Club World Cup. That's fine. You're going to revamp the Club World Cup. Fine, do it. Right. That's enough. Like the, the, these players and like morons will turn around and go, well, you get paid 250 grand a week. You'll play 10 times a week. That money doesn't make you any less impervious to injuries. That money, no matter how much money you earn, you're still a human being who needs to rest. You're still (laughs) someone who like is at the peak of your fitness. That doesn't like you still need, it needs to be sensible. Like, and I think it's just not, it's just not sensible. It's just not sensible. (laughs) And hopefully it all just buggers off i've just got into the bloody football manager point where the champions league changes and i hate it i hate it <laughs> I, I instantly i was like what the frig is this like none of it works it's just take me back fun. to I'm, that game yeah, the yeah very just like, can i go back again please i just <laughs> yes. have to start a new game like it so they're already making changes that i don't think are great the world cup's gonna be massive like just enough please not to sound like a luddite and like no no <laughs> progress but progress when it's sensible and in a clear direction i think this is just desperately trying to get more games and more money and yeah let's just put it in america every time like what i don't know it just seems so messy and so needless and Mm. it's a trophy that ultimately nobody would care about because i'm sorry most of the time the european teams would win anyway like you might get the odd you might get the odd south american winner like you do in the club world cup like santos every so often win it or flamengo or whatever but 99 times out of 100 the european team's gonna win and that's if the european team even takes it seriously because i don't think they would they'd still prefer to win the game can you imagine klopp and him moaning about the amount of games that are being played but he'd have every right to complain he would he would (laughs) he'd be but that's the thing they'll probably have to play a game that's in maybe China and then fly out to Buenos Aires to play the final or something stupid like that. Can you imagine the uproar he'd have? And then the environmentalists will have a field day, wouldn't they? I mean, just like, it's just, yeah, it's a no from me. It's a no from me. Um, Mm. But I think that's all of our kind of, maybe all of the stories. I think for now, anyway. For now, I think that's everything. Um, But you've you've created a quiz for us. I have. I I, I thought, do you know what? We haven't actually gone through many stats, and I thought it'd be a fun way to kind of bring out the highlights of this World Cup. So what I'm going to do for the benefit of those listening and potentially viewing now is I'm going to give yourself, Rory, and the listeners and viewers the questions for this world cup mm-hmm. so this is as it currently stands so a lot of these answers may well change after the final we don't know so please do not shoot me down when you say that's not correct well, <laughs> it was at the time when i they wrote will this, so people will it will be as they are so yes feel free to drop them in the comments on youtube that's for sure anyway we will start with the world cup quiz so i have got 15 questions and what i'll do for the benefit is just Go through the questions and then I'll re-ask you, Rory, to get your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So obviously you get a bit more thinking time, hopefully. And those okay. that are watching, maybe listening, they could maybe pause it and then search it and then go, no. uh, yeah, I got 15 out of 15. Yeah, all right. Um, but try and play it honestly. Yeah. That'd be amazing. And just share your scores. That would be, yeah, impressive. Anyway, question number one. 
who was the first player to get sent off in the year in this year's World Cup? Number two, how many own goals have been scored at the World Cup? Number three, which teams recorded the fewest wins at the tournament? There are five in total. Number four, three players set a record for most appeared player over five World Cups. Name them. Number five, who has won the most Man of the Match awards so far? Number six, who is the oldest coach at this year's tournament? Number seven, which ex-player and now coach appeared at four World Cups for his country? Number eight, which squad at the World Cup only compromised of players that played abroad as opposed to players in their home nation? Number nine. Who was the youngest player to have played at this year's World Cup? Number 10. Who was the oldest player to turn up at this World Cup? Number 11. Who scored a hat-trick at this year's World Cup? Number 12. What is the biggest margin in terms of victory at this year's World Cup? Number 13, who has scored the fewest goals in this year's tournament? Number 14, which two teams have scored the most at this year's World Cup so far? And number 15, which player has the most goals and assists at this year's World Cup? So there's your 15, Rory. I will go through them again. Got some I, I did see many. your face a few times and it did seem to wince a few times, but <laughs> yeah. we will try and plough through. So you've got a bit more thinking time. Right. Let's go for it. So number one, who was the first player to be sent off in this year's World Cup? It was old Nazi botherer himself, Wayne Hennessy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Adolf Hitler. Yes, yeah. you got that right. Yes, it was Wayne Hennessy against Iran. Number two. How many own goals have been scored at this year's World Cup? Now, I remember Aguered because it's the only goal yeah. that Morocco had conceded. I feel like there was, I've gone for three, but I think it's not that many. It is just two, but oh, yes. Who did you think it was, though? Just out of curiosity. I thought the other one was for Poland, maybe. No, no. believe it or not, it wasn't given, though. Um, Enzo Fernandez against uh, Australia. Of course. That was the one. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so number three, which team recorded the fewest wins at this year's tournament? So there's five countries. Can you name them? Or, you know, I suppose if you get one, that's that's a good start. But yeah, there is five in total. Yep, number one. Qatar. Denmark. Yes, correct. Three Uh, more. Qatar, Denmark. Uh, oh God, who else was terrible? Um, Wales. Yes, correct. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Wales fans. Um, and two of these sides are, I would describe as exciting sides. Two teams that you've liked this tournament. 
Ecuador won though, right? Not Ecuador. No, they did win. No. So it's not that one. Sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I get excited about a lot of teams. That's the problem. Um, oh, I don't know. You have to tell. Honestly, I don't know. Okay. Um, Canada. Oh, wait. And... Belgium. No. Oh, no. Serbia. Damn. Canada. Yes. Serbia. Yeah, I could have got that. Okay. Got that. Number four. Three players to have set the record for most appeared player over five World Cups. You might know one of them, but there's three in total. Which one? So most appearances over five World Cups. Yep. So they've appeared at five World Cups. And one of them's in the tournament now. There's three of them. Three of them in the tournament. In five World Cups. Loris? No. Oh, this is terrible. Um, (laughs) Try and think legends. Well, Me- Ronaldo. Yes. Messi. Yep. <laughs> Maguire. The last no. one's uh, Messi. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Can you imagine that? <laughs> who is the last one? Ronaldo, Messi. Andreas Guadrado, who plays for Mexico. He's the left. Damn. Yes. So, wow. yeah, yeah, that was got a that weird one. one. Yeah, good work. Nice. Yes. I like that. Uh, number five, who has won the most Man of the Match awards so far? It's very Mes- close. Messi? Yes. Yes. Lionel yeah. Messi with four so far. Mbappe behind him on three. So, yeah, Ooh. very close. Number six. This might be an easy one for you. Oldest coach in the tournament. I've, I've just written Miknovic because I wanted him to be in the quiz. <laughs> what I think it is. Um, yeah. Oldest coach. Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. You All might them- kick oh. yourself. LVG, Louis van Gaal, he's 73. Believe it or not, he's not the record breaker. It was Otto Rehagel, a few World Cups before. He was, uh, he's beaten him by 200 days, basically. Yeah, that guy's older than time. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He's been around forever, Rehagel. (laughs) Um, Number seven, which ex-player and now coach appeared at four World Cups for his country? I put Deschamps, but I don't think it is. No. Try and think African. Alucise? No. Rigobert Song. Oh, Rigobert Song. Appeared in 94, 98, 2002 and 2010. There you go. Number eight. This was a fascinating stat that I came across. So which squad at the World Cup only compromises of players that play abroad as opposed to their nation? I'm going to think about this one. And it's not England, obvious for obvious no. reasons, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I, it, it's weird because you only ever think of the teams where it's like Qatar. They all play in Qatar exactly. or Saudi Arabia. They all play in Saudi Arabia. I'm gonna say Canada. No, Senegal. Believe it or not, every wow, one of their okay. players currently play abroad. Who is, for number nine, who is the youngest player to have turned up at this World Cup? Now, this is to make an appearance, right? Just to make appearance. It could be like two seconds as a sub, or it could have been a full debut, for example. I'm going to go Muziala, but I don't think it is. No, but you were on the right tracks. It's Yusufa Makuku. 
is 18 was, years and three days I was, old. I was literally like, Mazzella or Makoko? Who am I going to go yeah, for? Mazzella exactly. or Makoko? Yeah, yeah, 90th minute appearance against Japan. Okay, number 10. This might be an easy one, though. Who was the oldest player at this year's World Cup? I think it was Lewandowski, right? No, no. you got to think older than Lever. Um, do I spoil it for you? Um, let's think Canada. Oh, God damn it. The guy who had the tampon up his nose. I know that's <laughs> yeah. not a great... That's not the legacy he wanted to have. Hutch- Probably did, Hutchison? Hutchison. Yes, correct. Atiba Hutchinson. 39 Atiba. years old, 298 days. Oh. Okay, so we haven't had many of these, but who scored a hat-trick at this year's World Cup? Enzo Fernandez. No, no. No, no, wait, no, Ramos, damn it. Ramos, that's what you meant, isn't it? I, I could see that's what you meant. Um, yeah, believe it or not, we've, uh, that's the sole hat-trick that we've had at this year's World Cup. Uh, most tournaments would have at least, on average, two or three. Um, but yeah, it's more braces this year. I yeah. think it was recorded as 16 braces so far in this wow. tournament. Yeah. So incredible. Okay, uh, we go on to question number 12. Biggest winning margin at the tournament? Spain 7-0, it has to be, Yes, correct, yes. I was contemplating whether to go by goal margin or other ways, but I thought that would be easier. Okay, number 13. Who scored the fewest goals at this year's tournament? So there are five nations. Can you guess them? Qatar? Yep. They're the like base answer, Qatar. They were the worst. Always Qatar. (laughs) Wales. Yes. Denmark. Yes. Canada. No, Canada got two. Canada got two goals technically, right? So not the worst. Oh. They're not in this bracket. So two more nations. Serbia? No, they did score more than that. Remember, Roy, they had that free. Yeah, they've had some thrillers. Um, do I spoil it? Come on. You can think of one. You did mention one for an earlier question. Senegal? No. No. Okay, I'll tell you. Tunisia is one of them. And uh, Belgium. Belgium oh, damn, only yeah. scored one goal, and it was the one win they had in the tournament. Um, number 14. Which team or two teams have scored the most at this year's World Cup so far as it currently stands? Spain. Ooh. Okay. England. <laughs> that was my That's only one. Guess. That's right, one. Okay. Yeah. That's England one. and Argentina. France. Got the oh, wrong team. It. Wrong team. It's France, it. unfortunately, Rory. And then the last one. Which player has scored the most goals and assists at this year's World Cup? So he's got a combination of goals and assists to his game. Messi. Exactly, yes. Do you want to guess how many assists he's contributed so far? So obviously we've mentioned one against Morocco, uh, not even Morocco, Croatia, sorry. Um, But yes. And against Netherlands. Yep. Um, I'm going to say like five. No, it's free, believe it or not. Three. So he's not that good. But yeah, three assists and five. Come on, goals, Messi, step it up, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, eight in total. So yeah, that is your quiz. Wow, Hopefully I love you've that. enjoyed that. That reminds me of all the highlights, right? I so, um, love a quiz. Um, could have gone with attendances, but I thought I wouldn't bore you guys <laughs> to death. So yeah. But yeah, reminding Beautiful. ourselves of that amazing tournament in Qatar, right? 
So it yeah. has been it has been incredible. But unfortunately, as incredible as the tournament has been, we need to kind of remind ourselves at what cost this tournament has come. And a horrific story coming out of Iran this week as 26-year-old footballer Amir Nazar Azadani has been arrested um, for protesting and has been mm. sentenced to death. Now, there's not really much we can say about this story beyond that. Um, we talked about the bravery at the time of the Iranian teams when they when mm. they refused to sing the national anthem and when they were forced to sing the national anthem and how it put other countries' kind of willingness to protest to shame. All we can say really is that we hope the international community steps up and does something here, not only yeah. just about this case, but about Iran in general. I saw some awful, awful, an, an awful video on Twitter today of a guy being interviewed who had been sentenced and asking about his last wishes and just the the horrific things coming out of that country. Mm. It just, it's a, it, it needs, somebody needs to step up and do something. I just think this is a story that links it to football and hopefully football fans like us and yeah. podcasts and mainstream media and everyone can try and shine a light on this so that something's done because it's just, you can't really say anything, can you? It's just horrible. It's just no, awful. It's horrible. It is absolutely horrible. And you think it's taken a footballer to kind of maybe highlight what's going on mm. in Iran right now. Um, and it's a shame to some extent because you think there's probably been lots of people that have suffered yeah. so far. Um, but if anything, we've got to, uh, as FIFA's footballing community, please highlight this story because, mm -hmm. yeah, there's so much that's going wrong in that country right now. And I hope that this is a start where we can maybe change the angles down there because certainly no one should have to face the consequence of, you know, death for just defending what is essentially basic rights. And mm -hmm. it shouldn't be a case of you're defending women's rights to then have your life taken away from yourself. Yeah. So that is horrendous. And I'm hoping FIFA actually acts on it as well. And, you know, mm -hmm. maybe sends like a stern kind of message to this country to say, look, if you want to be considered as part of the global community, you can't be doing acts like this. Mm -hmm. And, like maybe just demands like that that would be a nice kind of thing for Infantino to do. I mean, he's been showboating about being the big man at this tournament. Be a big man here. You yeah. feel like you're, you know, every nation be Iranian. Mm -hmm. Let's try it. Yeah. Try and see what you can do. Um, I doubt people do it, but yeah, I think yeah, just his life. I think just yeah. I don't know what to say. Honestly, I don't know what to no. say. Um. But we do need to also continue our uh, partnership with Cards of Qatar. And as always, we're going to bring you three stories of three migrant workers who lost their lives in the build-up to this tournament, starting with Keramat Ali. In May 2020, the family brought the body of 50-year-old Keramat Ali to Laksam in the Kumilla district of the southeastern Bangladesh. He died due to a stroke in Qatar in April of that year. His wife and two children, a son and a daughter, are now struggling to make ends meet. I'm struggling with the interest rates of the loans and I will soon have to take my 11-year-old out of school and send him to work, says widow Tamina Akhtar. She says that her parents have been able to help a lot, but that it is unsustainable in the long run. Khalida Ramesh, 
On August the 10th, 2016, Kalida Shravan's father had just left his shift. Suddenly, he fell and began to twist in agony. I drove him as fast as I could to a hospital where they said he had a heart attack. The company for which his father has worked for nine years paid the last monthly salary and delivered the body. My father came back to India as a dead body in the luggage along with some money. His job was hectic. The car he was driving was old. The engine boiled in the heat and it was unbearable to sit inside the car. He was only 40 years old, too young to die, says Shravan. And finally, Zohrul Islam. Zohrul's death in Qatar couldn't have happened at a worse time. The family was even before his death passing through economic hardship. They had borrowed money from a local NGO, money lenders and relatives to send Zohrul to Qatar to work as a cleaner. Rina actor, elder sister and Sharmin actor, younger sister of Zohrul, claimed that their only brother did not have any previous health complications or diseases in Bangladesh. <laughs>